Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Hey everybody, today we're going to be talking about nonprofit business models or business structures versus for-profit business structures. I'm going to throw out a couple of caveats before I get started. I have actually run my business as a for-profit or organization or a structure, and I've also run it through a nonprofit. There's advantages and disadvantages to both of these models. I want to share kind of my story about it, how it all developed and what I did. But I also just want to go over what each of these are as by definition. You know, when what we're really talking about is when you are basically taking your business to what I call the next level. So in the beginning, I ran workshops and I would just say, hey, everybody, I put a hang up a flyer at the health food store. This is a lot of times at the Hawthorne Valley farm store back in the day and or different markets in my area. Health food stores back in the day used to be like the place to go. They'd have a big bulletin board and there'd be a thousand flyers and they'd all be bent and curled because of the moisture in the air and people would steal your tax. And the more vibrant your your poster was, the better. But at the same time, it could be covered immediately by somebody else's flyer who comes along and posts it. So it was a little bit crazy. It was a little bit of Wild West thing going on. But if I wanted to do a class, I could just put that out there, stick it up there, say, hey, give me a call, register for my program, show up on Saturday at X location, and you could run a program. It's a model that basically is just, you give me some money, I teach you a bunch of stuff, and very clean. However, It's not something that you could do forever because you're going to eventually have enough money coming in that you are going to want to put in your bank account. And when you start putting money in your bank account, you have to know where it's coming from. Eventually, you will need to pick and choose a structure. So what I did was after doing that for a couple of years, really part-time, I just said, all right, instead of just doing a cash business, I really want to do this. I'm making a commitment. And I, so I went in and I got a sole proprietorship. I, I looked at the structures at the back in the day, and there is usually something like an LLC, which is a limited liability corporation that involves a little bit of paperwork. And in, in basically you're setting up a corporation. It's something that is a model that kind of helps you with liability for your business. So then you're going to weigh working for your co- corporation. You can just form an actual corporation and you can also do a sole proprietorship. And a sole proprietorship is where you're basically just saying, I am a solo operator. I'm really not hiring a lot of people. I'm just running my program, my business, and I'm the only one. I'm the owner. I'm the main guy, the main person. There's also another method for profit, which is a partnership. You can form a partnership with one or, you know, with two or three other people and you can Uh, you know, have a kind of a shared business structure in which you're all partners. So therefore, you know, your debts are, are, you know, (laughs) your partners in debt and your partners in profit, if there is any. I chose sole proprietorship and I used that for a good amount of time for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. That allowed me to structure my business where I could then say, all right, I have a sole proprietorship 
And I also then added Ricardo Sierra having a DBA. A DBA is called Doing Business as Hawk Circle Wilderness Programs. That was my DBA. It allowed me to take that. Once I filed that and got that registered, I could then go to my bank and say, hey, I want to get a bank account in my business's name. And then that way I can put money in as I get registrations and I can pull money out as I need to buy supplies for my program and take an owner draw if there is enough money to do that and figure out how that business structure is going to go. And then you have to report your taxes and it's all very much clear and laid out and it's fairly flexible and fairly straightforward. So that's what I did. And I did that for a while. And then we moved over here from the Hawthorne Valley, from the Hudson Valley area to the Cooperstown, Cherry Valley, Otsego County area, which is about two hours west of where I was living. And so we're on the other side of the Catskill Mountains and in, in a much more rural county because the where I lived in the Hudson Valley, there was a lot of people from up New York St- City that would come up and have houses there. And so there was a real influx of people on weekends. It was there. It was a much more economically profitable area in terms of there was cash and money flowing from New York City up every weekend. People were going out to eat and buying houses and doing all kinds of stuff. And then when I crossed the, the mountains and got to the other side, suddenly I realized I was like, okay, we're four and a half hours away from New York City. And that flow of income is not really making it that strongly impacting in my area. And so it was much more economically stressful. We were running our programs. We had bought land. We bought 200 acres plus of land and we were fixing that, that the place up where we were going to have camp tent platforms. And we were fixing up our farmhouse. We had to convert the garage of the farmhouse and pour a cement floor in it and then create our, an infirmary in there with a bathroom and a bathtub and everything so that we had a place for someone to be if they were sick. And we had to build outdoor showers on the back of that building so that we would have a place for campers to get, you know, showers. And we converted this farmhouse into a commercial kitchen. So we had the ability to do food service there, all of which was like a major investment for us. And so we were doing all this work. We were fixing up our road. We were fixing up the land. And I had a lot of help. I had people helping me. And we were just having fun out there, learning wilderness skills. And then at the same time, making getting firewood. And we were all pretty excited about being able to run these cool programs and uh, really see how we were changing lives through that program. We did this for a while. And eventually, we ran into a situation where we had a number of people in the area who were really wanting to be part of what we were doing. And at the time, my wife and I were like, hey, the more hands, the merrier. Let's see what we can do. And we really wanted to create more of a community-based experience. A couple things happened. I'm really not meaning this to be like a step-by-step history of Hawk Circle, but I'm really just getting to why we were looking at nonprofit. Anyway, the long or the short story really is that there was a couple of people there that said, hey, let's be nonprofit. If we go nonprofit, then we can fundraise. And there was a, a man there that said, I will be the nonprofit director. He was a he had a lot of experience being like a CFO 
meaning the chief financial officer for different companies. So he knew a lot about financing and banking and fundraising and all that sort of stuff. And he said, if we form a nonprofit and we get our IRS tax exempt status, we can really go to town. We can really bring in funding to really help this vision really grow. And that sounded really good to me, but I also had to look at what was the reality of what we were getting into. And so I started reading up about it and looking at the requirements in New York State and then looking at the federal requirements. I told him, I said, this is a lot of paperwork. There's a structure here that that is going to be in place that's going to change how things are, are going. And I said, I'm okay if we do this, but I don't want to run it. I cannot, I do not have the brain to put into the brain space or whatever, because I'm so busy doing construction and then running the programs. And so he agreed and we had a few other people that were excited and they were just like, oh yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. And so he got the, got us incorporated as a nonprofit in New York state and then applied. We had to apply for the federal tax exempt 501c3 status. I'm not sure why you have to have all these weird numbers, but that's just how the federal government does what it does. And basically he was only here for about a year. And then of course, naturally he left (laughs) for a variety of reasons. And I don't want to get into it, but the point is he left and get and left me and Trista holding the bag. And he hadn't completed the the 501c3. And this is a legal document, legal application. And so there's a lot of information that you need to know. And, and so we eventually, after trying to wade my way through it and really feeling overwhelmed, I had a friend of ours who was a lawyer who he was like, you know what, I'll help you get that. And he went through it all. He asked me a bunch of questions and then we sent it out. And then I don't know, like a nine months later, we got a letter that said we, our tax exempt status has been granted. And at that point, we were now a nonprofit. We were then also getting a board of directors. We were having meetings and we were trying to figure out where we're going and everything else. Fast forward to today, I'm just saying we have a lot of experience working in a lot of different capacities around these two business structures. So how do we choose wh- which way to go? I'm, gonna, I'm going to try to be unbiased. And then I'll also tell you some advice or you'll probably pick up on my own personal bias in a way. But I mean, I really, I am on the fence with it a lot. Like I was a lot of our place right now would not exist the way it is without us being nonprofit. On the other side of it, (laughs) has it been a major pain in the butt at times for me? Yes, it has too. You can have two things can exist at the same time. Anyway, let's dive into it a little bit here about what these are. Typically, you have what's called a a for-profit business, which we talked about. You have a not-for-profit business, and that structure is actually when you have a business and you create a separate part of that business, like a for-profit corporation, and they can form a piece of their company that is not-for-profit, that basically just is going to be donating and in using volunteers to do good things in the community. That's different than a nonprofit. So nonprofit is an actual business, a legal business entity that once you create it, it will exist in the United States. It'll be something that is its own thing. And then from that point on, I work for that business and 
that's it. That's now it's a legal entity. It's weird. It's weird to talk about just because if you're somebody that's like really into checking out warblers and going tracking and picking choke cherries and making jelly or whatever, like it, this is not as fun, clearly. So here's like some of the good things. The good, let's talk about for-profit. The best thing I would say about for-profit is that it's very straightforward in how you run it. And you have a lot of freedom in within that to run that business. And it exists, the, your business as a sole proprietor or for-profit or LLC, the main reason that you exist is to generate an income through whatever you do. You sell services, you sell a product, you open a store, whatever it is, you, you create something that then uh, makes money and hopefully does good things at the same time, but you do exist to make money. Like you're not there to just donate all your time and cash and everything as well. And that's totally okay. Lots, there are lots and lots of businesses that are for profit, that make a profit. They pay their employees really well. They also donate to things in their community. They volunteer. Businesses are not inherently bad. There's businesses everywhere we go and they contribute in different ways. Are there bad businesses that take advantage of people's uh, wages and labor? Absolutely. Are there businesses that are horrible and treat people terribly? Yes, there are. That's true with everything. There's actually pretty sleazy nonprofits too. It's not, it's not like on one side is for profit and they're evil and look at those horns coming out of their head or whatever. And then on this side, they're like, there's the wings and behind, and behind your shoulders and they're all perfect. And it's all staffed by angels or whatever. It, we're all just people and we're all just trying to figure it out. But the beautiful thing about for-profit is that you're going to be nimble. You have flexibility. You can adapt very quickly. And because you are the, whoever it is, if you're a partnership, it's if you and your partner agree that you have a car dealership and then you say, you know what, we think we need to have, we're going to sell snowmobiles too, which nobody's doing because there's no snow. But you can just do what you want to do. You can shift and you can make decisions, work out the numbers, figure it out, and then you can do something pretty quickly. With a nonprofit, you can't because the nonprofit, whatever you do, needs to be signed off by your board of directors. So it's a little bit longer to respond. It's not as nimble and it does have to go through a number of people's decision-making and getting everybody on board. So it's not as nimble as a non for the nonprofit side. Another thing that's great about for-profit is that you can raise money. You can raise what they call capital. You can do venture capital. You can sell stock in your company. If you've got a really good idea, there are people that will come in and go, Hey, I'll give you a hundred grand or 30 grand and you can get 10 people to put that in. And then you can turn around and create something that's really awesome that might make a million dollars a year. And then what happens is that when they buy stock in your company or, or your organization in that respect, they will then get a share of that profit in the future, right? So every year you would then calculate how much money did the business net, how much did it make after all the expenses and everything's been taken out, what is left over. And then whoever has those shares gets, gets paid. If you're the owner and you have 75 
percent of the shares, you will get 75% of that profit. And if there's five other people that own the rest of that 30%, they would get that as a bonus and they would get paid back for their investment plus that share of that profit. And it can be structured a lot of different ways. So you can definitely raise money in and get investors and you can do things and you can grow your business with other people's help. However, that's where it ends. Like it's not, and then you just do your business and hopefully you keep going and you figure out things when things get bumpy and when conditions change and customers change and the economy changes, you just try to figure it out and stay in business. Let's flip over to the other side. So for a nonprofit, what you're going to do is a nonprofit is still run like a business. As a nonprofit, I can run my camp and I'm still going to run it and do a really good job. I'm going to hire staff. I'm going to do all that. You And you want to make a profit. You're, you're allowed to make a profit, but you're just not allowed to take the profit you make as an owner because there is no owner. It's basically owned. It's its own entity. And so the profit that stays in there is then funneled back in to do whatever the mission, to fulfill the mission of its purpose for that organization. You can have a cash reserve, you can pay your employees really well, whatever, but no one person is going to fully benefit financially from the growth of everything. It's actually held as a trust for the good of the public and whoever you're serving. I guess I would say that a for-profit business, one advantage of it is that if it's a really successful business, but you don't want to run it anymore, you can sell it because it's yours. A nonprofit, if you don't want to run it anymore, you have to either just quit and walk away or you have to dissolve the company, the, the nonprofit, and then the assets of what you have created go back to another similar nonprofit that's doing good or whatever. And you basically get to determine where those assets go. And that's happened to us a couple of times. There's been really good nonprofits that were formed by people who were like, hey, we're going to run this program and we're going to do be it all nonprofit. And they did it for 10 or 15 years. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, everybody's getting older and nobody really has got the time to do it. So then they said, all right, we're going to close. And then when they liquidated their assets or sold the land, they actually then went, all right, we want to give 20% to Hawk Circle because we love what they're doing. And so all of a sudden we would just get a check in the mail and it'd be like, here's your donation. And we were like, yay. So it was pretty, it's good in that regard. If you're putting a ton of energy as an individual and you're going to do the bulk of the work, forming a nonprofit is not necessarily your best bet because if it's a really successful business, you don't own it, you can't sell it if you decide you want to go in a different direction. And you also, if you have a really good year and you really work really hard, your salary may or may not go up depending on the budget and the who controls the budget, the treasurer, the president, the vice president, the secretary, and everybody else on the board, they get to vote on what is the budget for the year, which includes salaries and pay and compensation and all that. So it's not as simple as, hey, I'm running my program and my nonprofit, and there's no guarantee that you will really benefit. Most of the time, let's be real, everybody, it's all people. Most of those time, they're going to try to do things that will help us help their staff and improve pay and everything. But it's if you ran 10 extra programs in a for-profit and you made, say, $70,000 extra dollars, that's great. And you could turn around and take that net profit 
and actually just pay off the, your property or buy a new vehicle or a tractor or do you could do stuff with that and you wouldn't have to get approval for anything or you could put it in your bank account to go towards your retirement. There's a lot of things you can do one way or the other. So I know I'm, I'm really sorry if I'm getting this really jumbled. I, I'm jumping back and forth and I didn't really mean to do that. Anyway, I hope that you're able to keep some of this straight as I'm telling you this. So one of the things that happens when someone donates to your business as a nonprofit is that when they give a, a donation there, what they're going to do, what they're going to get in return for that donation, they're not going to get a do like a stock option or a bonus at the end of the year. They're going to get paid in what they call social, a social return on their investment. So for example, if, if they give me a thousand dollars and then I'm able to like actually get two extra people in a few programs that normally wouldn't be able to do it, they would then go, Hey, I actually helped two people have a really powerful experience. Wow. I'm really excited about doing that. I made a difference in the world. So that's where that donation comes in. And some people who are donors really want to donate to helped individuals and programs. And then other people, when they donate, they go, Hey, I'm going to give you 20 grand and I want you to build a cabin so that the kids are not sleeping in tents and they are sleeping in like a beautiful timber frame cabin. They're protected. If there's a big thunderstorm and a branch falls on it, we know that they're going to be safe. And we think that this will also help the long-term viability of the mission, which is what we want to do is really support your mission. So they're going to invest in that, in our company and get that, those benefits from that, knowing that they are helping to perpetuate whatever our mission is or whatever your mission is. That's how it works. It's still an investment. They're still giving you money, but they're getting they're instead of getting a financial return, they're getting a social return or the personal satisfaction or whatever it is. And other benefits that you have for nonprofits is that you usually, you don't pay income tax on the money you make as a nonprofit. So if you make, I don't know, $300,000 a year and you bring in a ton of money and then a lot of money comes, goes out or whatever, you basically make that money and it goes in, but it's never taxed by the federal government or the state. And so basically what they're saying is we don't want you to pay taxes because you're providing a service that we are not ha now having to do. Therefore, we're going to give you a break on the tax thing and help you to stay solvent. So you wouldn't pay income tax. Property tax is tricky. If you owe, if you own the property, if the nonprofit buys land and owns that property, you can apply to your local, your local property taxes and so forth. And you can say, Hey, we'd like to not pay taxes. We are a nonprofit. I think it's up to, I don't know for sure if it is up to the board, like the local community county level or whatever. I'm not sure who decides it, but essentially most nonprofits will look at the good that they're doing in the area. And so, for example, we were doing like after school programs and we were running local camps and things like that. And I would say at the time it was like 25% of our effort and our energy and our budget 
was due to local programming. What they would look at is to say, okay, how much of your impact is local and can we take a percentage of that and then cut your property tax by 25%. If it's all lo local, then you could apply and say, can I get, get off the tax roll and not have to pay taxes, which is a considerable expense, right? So especially for us, like we have 200 acres plus a bunch of buildings. So it, it definitely is pricey. And of course, everywhere you go, taxes are going to vary depending on what your taxes pay for and what services you get and where you live and the financial climate and everything else. So you would basically, you can decide what you do. Sometimes they can deny your petition to have no property tax. If you're like a nonprofit based on a, an internet thing and you're just like, hey, I'm helping kids in Africa get malaria nets so they don't get malaria. You might, you might not actually get to take your property taxes off because you're still living there and therefore you still should contribute. So for us at, here at our place, we have just paid taxes, uh, property taxes, because we basically live in an area that doesn't have a lot of tax base. And if we just drop that out, it would be a hardship on the town. We like having the road snow plowed and we like having schools, having people go to school and get educated so that people in the area can build good lives. So we contribute in that way. Sales tax, however, you can, you get a, you can just not pay sales tax. You get an exemption number and, and then a, a form and you give that to businesses and then you don't pay on that, which is great. And it is helpful. It's not an amazing amount of money unless you're really buying a ton of supplies, but it does, it is something and it is helpful. Another benefit of nonprofit is that by going through the process of all this stuff and having like financial scrutiny and having a bunch of different volunteers and board members and people who are in the community that are respectable and are trying to do this thing and do it the right way, you build public trust in nonprofits is very significant in terms of you're automatically getting public trust versus Ricardo Sierra running a, running a wilderness camp with a bunch of tents in on land that I'm leasing. Like that is not giving as much of a public trust. So you're standing as a business, as a mission, as a, as an organization in your community does get vaulted up. That's not nothing. So I want to say that's a, that is a plus. You also can have volunteers in your business and ha let them donate by volunteering their time. You can do that. You really have to look at the, the current label labor laws in your area because if people volunteer you still then have to have like workers compensation and you have to have insurance like you have to have things to protect them even though they're volunteering and you're not paying them a salary so that's really important those are the main things that are pretty big factors and a lot of times if you're applying for grants to do a program in the area for disadvantaged youth, or you're get, applying for a grant to work with moms who are adjudicated, who need help getting their kids out in nature. There's a lot of different ways you can apply for grants. And you don't have to be nonprofit in order to get those grants all the time. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. So it depends on the grant. It depends on the foundation that's going to give the grant. 
And it just depends on a lot of other criteria. It's not out of the question if you're for-profit, you can still apply for things and do that. Another thing you can do if you're for-profit is you can also work under the umbrella of a existing nonprofit. So for example, if somebody in my area said, hey, Rick, I want to run a forest school. I'd like to run it at your place. Could I run the school at your place? We need, we're going to get donations to build this and get a bunch of clothing and gear and everything. Can we have that donated on our behalf? And will you create that program in Ad Hoc Circle that is run in conjunction with that? And there's a lot of reasons why existing nonprofits would do that. Part of it is if it's adding and helping your mission. So if your mission is to help kids and you also like this person and you feel like you have trust in them, then you can do that. They wouldn't be necessarily employees of my the nonprofit. They're actually going to be still running their separate business under our umbrella and using that to get funding to make things happen. It can get complicated, but all I'm saying is that you don't have to be nonprofit. Sometimes people can donate or do different things that will support you without having to go through the whole thing of setting this whole thing up. Another thing that I would say is also tricky about nonprofits. I'm just going to throw this out too, because I remembered it just now. And that is that if you get donations, when somebody donates, they can just say, Hey, we love the work you're doing. Here's some money. Here's $50. And usually for smaller amounts, people don't go, Hey, here's $50 it has to go into the scholarship fund or it has to go to build a cabin. Or you know what? I heard that you guys lost your snowplow. I'm going to donate this $500 towards you getting a new snowplow or something like that. So there's things that are that go into a general fund if there's no earmark for it or they can earmark it and say, hey, this is has to go to staff salaries. I'm going to do this to be able to get help you give a bump to all the staff salaries or whatever. That's never really happened, unfortunately. But I'm just saying those are all scenarios. So you have to be able to keep track of what is your donation situation and where is that money going. And that's not an easy thing to do. And you can get in trouble if you pull money out of the one fund to pay something else like that is not good. It's not cool. So you have to be really careful because if you get audited, then you're going to be scrutinized and there are penalties and it's just, it gets funky real fast. And this is a serious thing. If you're, because it's a nonprofit corporation organization, it's taken very seriously. And that's true for labor laws, whether you're for profit or not, like once you start a business and you do things like you are going to be held liable and you will be held to a different standard than it would be if I was just like Ricardo Sierra hanging out in a parking lot at a school and then going out and or a park and then doing a program for 10 people. No one's going to turn around and sell sue me or anything because I don't have anything and they're just going in there and just learning some things and taking off. But as soon as you like go, Hey, I'm putting children, my children in your care. And if something goes wrong or something goes wrong for a staff person, who's the, who's there and they're helping you and you're found liable, then you're going to be in trouble. And, and this isn't a light thing. You can get so, some really serious consequences for that. So for that reason, I always like to tell people like really think it through if you're starting this business and really make sure that you are committed to doing all the things 
that you need to do to make sure that you stay in a good place. All right. Here's another thing about nonprofits that I'm also going to mention of that's a little bit of a downside. When you are become a nonprofit, in addition to marketing all your programs, filling your programs, hiring people, doing all the stuff, all the work, going restocking the first aid kit and making sure that you've remembered to get the truck inspected and all of the details of everything that needs to happen. You're also then going to be constantly pitching and asking for money either on your website, in social media, you're going to be creating an email list and then asking people donate. Hey, could you donate? Hey, we have this thing. You're ideally, if you're, if you are the program director, you ideally want to have someone who is an executive director, not someone like me. Like I've been the executive director and the program director. And when you do that, those are two different things. An executive director typically would say, Hey, I'm going to put a really nice sweater on and put my clean pants on and a, and a pair of shoes that aren't really scuffy. And I'm going to go out to breakfast with a bunch of people at the Chamber of Commerce. I'm going to go and talk to the head of these other nonprofits. I'm going to go to a business meeting in two hours away that, that are professionals in my field to get to know those people. And I'm going to go talk to donors. I'm going to craft and fundraise and talk to the board president. I'm going to be working at an executive level. And I'm laughing because I generally didn't, I struggled to do all of those things regularly. Most of my time was spent as the program guy, making sure that we had firewood for the upcoming camp season and clearing the trails after all these different trees have blew down in a big storm or cleaning out the cabins and sweeping them and replacing anything that needs to be fixed and like doing all of that work. That was typically my stuff. I was like, oh, let's train all these staff. Let's go get enough milkweed to be able to do our classes on fibers and everything. And it's very difficult if you're small, unless you have a much larger budget than we have had, it's hard to then pay somebody to be the executive director. Typically they get paid fairly well. And then they're the ones that would go out and say, Hey, I'm going to go meet with this car company or a building construction company or a grocery store or whatever, and just see whether they have a corporate sponsorship and whether they'd want to sponsor our event that we're doing or see if they would want to support us and share in that. And sometimes they did. And sometimes they don't. But if you're, if I'm sitting and working on firewood and then training staff and then greeting all the parents and then answering people's emails and like doing all that stuff and updating the website and all that. And I'm laughing because it's like Trista did a lot of these things too. And also people that were here that worked hard, we all shared in those duties. It, it just becomes something where it's a whole other position that you have to go out and learn about, which is none of that is stuff that I have ever wanted to do. I've always been like anti-schmoozing. I always have had a really, I feel very vulnerable going out there and asking, and what if they say no? And how will I feel if I ask? And it'll be awkward. Like all the stuff that comes up, it's hard and you have to get over it and you have to figure it out. Just like if you're making like deerskin buckskins, so you have this hide and you're like scraping it and everything and it's funky and it's not real fun to do. But if you get over your fear of it or your discomfort, then hide making is awesome. You're like, yay, I'm going to flesh these hides real fast. Then I'm going to put it through the process and look at this. We have beautiful leather and it's awesome. So you get over it. You learn to handle those things that are, you're uncomfortable. It's a, it is a job 
harder than doing buckskin to become a good nonprofit executive director. And you need mentoring. You need somebody who has been a director that to mentor you, you also need to have really good people in your organization to be able to help you with fundraising, help you with reporting in the structure and helping you build your organization to be sustainable over the long haul. That's not nothing. Basically, I'm going to probably just wrap this up here because I think you pretty much see that the the benefits and the net downside to it. But I would say that if you're someone that just, hey, I have a forest school, it's doing really well and I'm just doing my thing. And you go, maybe I'm going to just go nonprofit because if I go nonprofit, then we can get these grants, we can get this, we can get that. I'll say for myself, in the 20 years that I've been doing Hawk Circle, we rarely would get large grants. Most of the time, we would be in the running. We'd be in the top five to get funding for a major project. And almost always, we would be rejected or there'd be somebody else that would get chosen that just did something a little bit more, you know, needing, needed for the community or whatever. So we weren't really successful in getting grants because the things that we were applying for at the time, most of the time were difficult to get. And there wasn't a lot of money out there for like nature connection or whatever. Like there isn't tons of people just looking to low throw money at you and say, here, take my money. Most of the, t- the donors that we had were from org- uh, people whose children had gone through our programs and their lives had been really wonderfully impacted by in a beneficial way. And they went, Hey, wow, this is really great. We're going to, we're going to donate and we're going to support you guys. We love the work you're doing. And then so many times, even after their children are grown, they'll still continue to send $500 or a thousand dollars or 5,000. Like they'll send money to support us because they really believe in what we're doing. That's where it is. If you are sitting there with a for-profit business and you go, I think the answer is to be nonprofit And then we'll just, as soon as we become nonprofit, the money will just roll in. That is not going to happen unless you have lots of people who are very well off. I don't mean, you know, a little bit well off or something, because those people will go, hey, I'm going to give you this big donation. I remember a story. This is a story of a guy who came over to our place, pulled in, and he looked really, I don't know, he, he just seemed really nervous. And he was like, what do you guys do here? And I was like working at the time doing some construction. I said, oh, we're a wilderness program. We teach children about this. We do transformative work or whatever. And so he was like, what do you have here? And so I took him around the farmhouse. I took, I showed him all our stuff. I don't know who this guy was. And he goes, I really want to give you guys a donation. I really love the work you're doing. And I just came into some money and I really want to help someone. And I, but he goes, I need it to be anonymous. I don't want you to let anybody else know. I can't let all my relatives know that I've come into money or whatever. And I'm, while I'm doing this, I'm walking around and I'm just like, holy cow, did this guy win the lottery? Is he going to give us like to get a tax break or whatever, give us a really substantial gift? And I just said, man, I really appreciate that. Yes, you can give something anonymously. We won't report it specifically. It won't be in a paper or anything that anybody can look up really easily. And I said, we would keep it to ourselves. And I'm like, I don't really go out and talk to anybody anyway, so <laughs> it's pretty easy for me to commit to. He was like, okay, great. So he went out, God went to his car and he came back with his checkbook and he starts writing out a check and he's okay. Don't, don't please remember what we said and everything. And I'm like, okay. And he hands me the check and it's like $300. 
And I'm laughing because I was thinking it was going to be like 30 grand or something. And it was 300 bucks. And I was just like, number one, ooh, oof, I really overshot this. And not in my expectation. I didn't, my face didn't fall. I wasn't like suddenly, oh, crushed or anything. I was still really appreciative of his gift, but I was like, whoa, okay. I had a different thing in my head. But he was really sincere and he was really appreciative of what he did. And I said, look, this is going to really help some campers be able to come to camp and it's going to help us fix up our tent platform so they're in really good shape. It's going to just create a much better community here. And then he took off and that was it. And I don't think I ever saw him again. And hopefully he did well. But the point is, is that very few people will just come in and just start giving you money unless you run in those circles. If you run in a circle, if you're like, hey, I'm in La Jolla and they're like, there's really wealthy people living there. And you're like, hey, I golf with people who are billionaires or multimillionaires. Then yeah, have a nonprofit solicit that, ask them, pitch those people and say, hey, who wants to be part of my celebrity golf thing to raise money for helping children get outside or something? And then you can be like, all right, everybody pitch in 10, 10 grand and we're going to do a, a golf game and we're going to raise $100,000 to help this program. Yes, if you know those people and there's money in your community and there are grants, do your research. If you don't know those people, and you don't really know anything about fundraising, and you're not a grant writer, and you you don't know people who can be your treasurer and your president and your vice president and your secretary and head up the fundraising committee and all that stuff. If you don't know what that's all involved and you don't know people who are really educated and solid who would come in there and they're going to learn what they need to do and help you with the business, and you trust them. If you don't know anybody like that and you're thinking, oh, I got to pull it together, don't go nonprofit. Become a, get under the wing of an existing thing. Let them handle all that and you just do your thing and stay on the front lines. I, I'm telling you, it is not, it is the biggest illusion that so many people somehow get in their head is that they just go, oh, someone will give us $70,000. Someone will give us $10,000. It rarely ever happens. And I'm not saying that to be a downer. I'm just saying, hey, we're living in late stage capitalism. Income inequality is massive. It's never been seen before at, at this scale. So the majority of the money in the economy is just not here because it's all at the top 1% or 1.1% or whatever of people. In that reality and in this situation, I'm just saying if you put your stock in as a nonprofit, it is very tricky. And even today, the government does not necessarily have like tons and tons of cash. If you go to Canada, sometimes Canada will have programs for like children and families and they'll have a childcare credit or like you go to Australia, you go to UK, like some governments have money that they're willing to put in to support families because they want to invest in the health of their community and they will work with nonprofits and they will give out grants to support that, to solve the problems in their community. America doesn't do that as much because guess what? Most of our money goes to the military and these other large wings departments. Sometimes those types of budgets and funding gets approved and then sometimes it doesn't. So please just really think it through. Okay, please don't get fooled. Don't get caught in the, I'll be numb. I'll get my 501c3 and everything will just be 
perfect and you know, we'll all have lollipops and we'll ride unicorns up to the camp and we'll get 10 golf carts that are electric and we'll have a solar panel array. Like maybe, but I'll tell you right now, if you've ever been to a funder fundraising event or whatever, raising money and soliciting and creating really nice galas or events, really time consuming and expensive. So it costs you money to raise money and it, it costs you in time. And unless you have time or have a lot of people in your area, in your community, in your close circle that you trust who want to come in and really volunteer and really move the, the mission forward, stay, stay in a more nimble slash flexible, adaptable structure and just keep getting better and better. And if you start making the income that you want to make or if it starts to change, you can always change and, and shift over to be a nonprofit and form that. But please really think it through. And I would tell you, if you're thinking about it, talk, find other organizations in your area and ask them, hey, have you gotten $10 million in some grants lately? How hard was it? And then they'll say, hell yeah, our last grant was $5,000. And you're like, okay. And we had to you know, fill out 500 pages and do all this stuff and send everything. I mean, it's not that bad, but the point of it is, is talk to those people and say, how is it going? How is doing all the paperwork and, you know, the business requirement? What is that? Talk to a director, talk to somebody who does fundraising, talk to people and ask them, what is it like? And if you're thinking about forming something, talk to people before you go ahead and fill out that nonprofit app, say, hey. If I make create a nonprofit, will you commit to being the treasurer for two years while we get started? You're a CPA, you're a, you're an accountant, you're whatever a CFO. Would you be willing to do that? It's part time, so sometimes people will be able to say, "Yeah, get it in writing." Say, "All right, I'm going to hold you to it. It's going to take me six months to do all this stuff. Get it all done. Make sure you have people in those positions that you need to know." It's a lot easier to do it now than it was in like 1998, I think, was when we formed our nonprofit. Back then, pre-internet, for the most part. The internet was just getting going, pre-cell phones and all that in terms of like smartphones or anything. So now it's a lot easier. Now you can go online. There are groups that you can talk to. You can look up stuff. You can get a lot of support for free. You can start asking questions and you can reach out to people. So please do your homework and for the love of God, please just do your homework. And this is the one time that you don't really want to be like starry eyed and floating a foot off the ground. Like you really need to be your feet on the ground because when you sign those papers and you do that, your state will hold you to this new entity and structure. And if you don't really follow that, you can be in trouble. Yeah. You really want to be wide awake if you're, and you want to have the, the confidence of other people and you really want to make sure you're on that. And it's not something that you want to do as like a, oh, I, ha I have a dream. Your dream can be, you can still do your dream and be for profit. And what you want to do by having your business be for profit and making that happen, it's doing what they call testing the model. Like you have to test the model of your business by running camps, running programs, running your school trip programs or whatever it is you do, your adult forest bathing. And you're basically saying, is this financially viable? 
Because your idea is to go, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to get certified in forest bathing and then everybody's going to come out and I'm going to charge $30 and I'm going to make, I'm going to make $300 a day and I'll do that five days a week and I'm going to be, I'm going to be rolling in dough. That's a good theory. And then you have to go out and do it. You can still do that without, without being nonprofit and see if it holds up. If you're just like, man, I've got a waiting list. Maybe this is something that you really want to do. Go ahead but test your model first. Okay, please, 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 please do that if you can. The last thing I'll say is whoever your board members are and everything else, like I, we have had people join our board and then immediately go, Hey, I think you guys need to do all your programs local. And that was their one thing. They were like, Oh, you should just do local programs. Why don't we do it for local kids? Hey, why don't you do it where it's really low cost for all the local kids? And I'm like, okay, if you get me $40,000, so I don't, I, I can lower the tuition. So go fundraise and get that, come back and I will jump on that. And we will do a whole big thing for local kids in the area who can't afford our camp. That person never did that, but she continually tried to steer the board for about a year while she was on. Uh, really nice person, very well-intentioned, everything. However, you could form that nonprofit and that nonprofit can decide to go in a different direction and they can even fire you, even though you started it all. They can say, hey, you know what? We're going to get somebody else to be the executive director. You're going to be the program director. And then before you know it, you could be on the out. Think it through. Think it through. Please be careful. That doesn't happen that often, but I can just tell you, I know places where it did. And all of a sudden, you're just like, what? We're selling Girl Scout cookies and outside of Walmart, and we're also doing this, and we're doing, you're like, this isn't what I signed up for. But if the board says this is what our mission is, this is what our programs are going to be to fulfill our mission, you're going to go do that because that's what you're getting hired to do. So again, be careful. The bottom line is there is a good structures in place for us to do the work. Again, I, there's a lot of people probably listen to this who are running a nonprofit and they're like, Ricardo's crazy. It's the greatest thing ever. That's all of these things can be true, right? It can be night, a nightmare and it can also be incredible. It can be hard work. It can be difficult. It can be the greatest job you ever loved or whatever hardest thing you ever loved or whatever. You can have all these things and they can all be true. Anyway, good luck with it. If you want to reach out to me, let me know. I'm, I'll try to work you through that if I can and reach out and look for, there are people that run for-profit versus non-profit online webinars and things like that that will help you. And again, still be careful, but right on. Good luck to all of you. I really appreciate everything you guys are doing. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.